Hi, everyone. This is your host, Amy Geckel, and this is entry 21 of the Eating Disorder Diaries. For those of you who are newer to this podcast, hello. My personal story is that I suffered from bulimia for 16 years, and now I have an amazing and fulfilling life in recovery after thinking that I never would, and I want to share what I've learned. This podcast has been one of the biggest blessings in my life because not only have I been able to grow by sharing my own story, but I've been able to connect with listeners all over the world. I've had on others to hear their stories, and I've also had experts in the field on to hear about what they're learning and how they're adapting to treating others who are suffering. And I am beyond excited for you to hear from our guest today, Melanie Rogers. Melanie is the founder and CEO of Balance Eating Disorder Treatment Center, Melanie Rogers Nutrition, LLC, and Redefining Wellness. She's a powerhouse, and she's here today to talk about her own personal journey with eating disorder recovery and how that led her to dedicate her life to supporting others and helping them achieve long-term recovery. We talk a lot about her company, Balance, today and how What differentiates balance from other treatment centers is not only their focus on treating smaller groups, but also their focus on how crucial it is to treat the individual person who is suffering. We're all on our own journeys. Recovery for me might look different than recovery for you. What helped me recover might not help you or might need to be tweaked and also help you. So what the team at Balance has done is immersed themselves in the most current and leading research in the field. With this research, they're able to apply the newest and most cutting edge techniques and information that have proven results for those who are pursuing a life in recovery. I was so intrigued by this conversation. Melanie's fascinating and inspiring. And by the way, she has an Australian accent. So arguably, this episode is that much more pleasurable to listen to. So let's get into it. Here is entry 21, the cutting edge eating disorder research featuring Balance's CEO, Melanie Rogers. I'm super excited for this. I'm so excited. Really love the energy. All right. Melanie Rogers, welcome to the Eating Disorder Diaries. Thanks so much, Amy. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. I would love for us to start with just having you recap your story for listeners who are new to you or also haven't heard of Balance before. So what's your story? You came from Australia to the States. You founded Balance. Tell us everything. (laughs) How much time do we have? Um, So yes, originally from Australia, always was interested in working in healthcare in a preventative capacity. So pursued becoming a registered dietitian. And uh, and actually, uh, in order to do that, you need an undergrad in biochem physiology, and then you do the nutrition piece to become a clinical nutritionist, registered dietitian as a master's. So I did my undergrad back home in Australia and lived abroad, traveled a little bit, and then decided I actually wanted to study abroad and do my master's in another 
place. Uh, so I came to New York to check it out and fell in love with the city. What's not not to like, right? Applied to New York University and they very graciously accepted me. <laughs> so I did my master's there, which is the reason I came to New York. And as I, as I mentioned, I fell in love with the city. I just thought, I don't want to leave after I finish my studies. So I was able to, um, yeah, I started working in the field of nutrition as a registered dietitian and very quickly was working with eating disorder clients. Now, at that time, I hadn't really truly admitted to myself that I had struggled in my 20s with a full-blown eating disorder and had kind of worked my way to a semi-recovered place through my graduate studies. Um, and I'll, I'll just highlight that for uh, listeners, Amy. I realise now as I put those pieces together of my own recovery, which I know we'll touch upon a little later, but I realise having something that fills you up and nourishes you and uh, challenges you and, and is something you're passionate about. For me, that was my master's degree. Like I just loved being studying that kind of content. Just, you know, it was like a spa for my soul, I used to say, which is really cheesy, I know, but it felt like that. And so I realized that that actually really gave me something bigger than myself to focus on and body image and weight and all of that stuff that's uh, you know, part and parcel of an eating disorder. So I just want to put a pin in that for a moment and we'll come back to that. So then uh, graduated, you know, did started working in the field, was working with eating disorder clients and realized I understood the head spin. So inadvertently, I was asking questions of my clients that was really tapping into that stuff. And so therefore I started to get referred more and more eating disorder clients. And so not knowing how to treat them just because you've struggled yourself doesn't mean you were an expert. So then I started to go to a lot of conferences and get a lot of extra training, et cetera. Started my own private practice after a few years working with others and training with them and then built that up. My goal, my ultimate goal, my career goal was to have a private practice, a group private practice, where I could have some other nutritionists working with me as a way of kind of thinking about women and careers. And that way I knew that if I had a group practice, I could uh, not only train others, but if I ever take vacation or I'm sick, I can still earn an income. So those were two very important things to me, a fulfilling career that was about helping others and being able to take care of myself financially as a woman. So I'm a little bit older than you maybe, Amy, and uh, that was not something that women were encouraged to do. I'm not that old, by the way, <laughs> but where I come from, it was like you get married, you stay at home, you can't do both, you know. So I was like, no, I'm doing both. Thank you very much if I choose to. So uh, started group private practice, did that for about five to seven years, loved it. But I started to get very frustrated with the lack of resources for clients who destabilized and needed more than just one-on-one -on -one individual sessions. And there was only one other place in New York City at the time. And this is only 15 years ago. So uh, after much frustration that, you know, not we need more than just one place. I got together with some of our referral people, some of our docs, our psychiatrists, and I said, listen, someone's got to open something because we we can't we can't just have one. And they all looked at me and pointed at me and said, Well, we think it should be you. <laughs> what? I know nothing about an eating disorder treatment center. You're listening to entry 21 of the Eating Disorder Diaries with Amy Geckel featuring Melanie Rogers, and we'll be back right after this break. 
On the outside, you have it all together. You're successful. You seem happy. But what your friends and family don't see is that you're living in the vicious cycle of bulimia. You know something needs to change. Your health depends on it. But you just don't know where to start. That's where conquering bulimia comes in. It's a -a one-of-a-kind online recovery course brought to you by certified eating disorder coaches Sarah Lee and Merit Elizabeth. They know exactly what you're going through. They've both recovered from bulimia and have teamed up with leading experts to create an online course with over 70 short videos to jumpstart your recovery. Conquering Bulimia is private and self-paced, filled with personal stories and coaching tips that will teach you how to change your behaviors for good. And it's affordable, offered at an incredible discount of 60% of the cost of one-on-one coaching. Break free from bulimia on your terms and start living the life of peace you deserve at conqueringbulimia.com. Welcome back to entry 21 of the Eating Disorder Diaries. So anyway, I I, uh, hired a consultant and they walked me through the process and I opened Balance 15 years ago. And um, yeah, and we're, we're, we're hanging in there. We're still doing what we do in the way that I think is really important. And what I mean by that is it's very important to me to just keep up with the research and then adopt the research and best practices as soon as we hear about them, because the road to recovery from an eating disorder, as, as you know, Amy, is very long. So if there, I, I have this burning desire that if there's anything that we can do that might just shorten it a little bit or do something that just sticks a little bit more so that a client might not relapse again if they've gone through a number of relapses. And so that's really the heart and soul of what we are trying to do at Balance is staying very cutting edge, hence also because we know every single person's journey is so unique that care has to be absolutely customized. And so even though it's honestly been very financially painful to do because we're right here in Manhattan, we keep our group size small. And uh, so from a business side of things, that's not necessarily what you want to do, but from a clinical perspective, it is absolutely. So, and as you can probably tell from me saying that out loud, that's my priority is absolute best uh, treatment that we can provide and profits come second. And I'm the sole owner. So Obviously, I have to make sure the business stays alive so I can't be, you know, uh, fiscally irresponsible, but it's not the driving force of what we do. So we keep the group sizes small, um, a maximum of 12, which is about half the size of what everyone else does. Mm -hmm. And we have a very high number of clinicians, therapists and RDs per client. So the clients are getting not only a registered dietitian or a licensed therapist in every single group, they're also having individual sessions uh, along with that, family sessions, et cetera. And if they need more family sessions or more individual sessions, we provide all of that at no extra cost because, again, it's very individualized. So that's what makes my heart sing as far as what nourishes me is being able to provide that kind of care the way I feel, or not I, it's not about me, it's about the way the research tells us is best practice and I get to decide how to do that with my team. So that that's very, very exciting to me. 
even though it's very stressful. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine, but how empowering and what an inspiring story you have. I just, I have so many thoughts that are churning through my brain as you're speaking. And I do want to go back to what you put a pin in, but first of all, it feels like balance has the most cutting edge information. Where do you get that? Is it through conferences or where can people find the most recent studies on eating disorders if they're curious? Absolutely. So um, there are associations and journals, of course. So, um, you know, keeping up to date on research journals uh, for specific to eating disorders. So everything from, you know, the therapeutic approaches. And and often what's ha- what we're seeing is um, we have what we call evidence-based treatments. So these are treatments that have been around for long enough that enough research has been done and shown the same outcomes over and over and over and over. That's that's a, an incredibly important part of determining if this piece of research actually can be tested and the same result comes over and over. And then we call that, you know, evidence-based. And so we have those approaches. But here's the thing, Amy, talking about that individualized care. So for example, we use cognitive behavioral therapy for eating disorders and, and can be very effective. But the research shows us that only about 50% of, of our clients respond to that. So my question has been, that's fantastic, but what are we doing for the other 50%? And no one could answer that. So I've done a lot of research and also gone to a lot of different residential treatment centers over the years to see what are they doing also in other industries. So for example, in the substance use industry, they're, they have been a little bit ahead of us because they are an established industry uh, identifying substance use as a problem way before eating disorders were even acknowledged in the 80s. So trying to gather what what are other ways that other industries have successfully helped people with behavior change and mental health concerns, you know, anxiety, depression, and then adopting those and and honestly kind of experimenting. But there's enough good studies out there to show that, oh, we, we've been using, for example, art therapy or nonverbal expressive therapies, such as music therapy, drama therapy. And we've seen, uh, you know, uh, and it's not anecdotal, it's not just us, you know, a lot of people are kind of moving into these other modalities as we learn more about eating disorders, that a lot of people who struggle with eating disorders don't have words to describe their emotions because they're so disconnected. So expecting someone to be able to intellectually uh, describe their feelings and have insight is almost impossible when the brain's not working properly and they don't even have the vocabulary because they're so, as I said, disconnected. So that then just lends itself to let's get the clients in their bodies then, which is where drama therapy, a role-playing therapy, you know, the client will sit opposite a chair and in the chair is their eating disorder and they'll talk to their eating disorder as as one modality, for example, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we started to see was just mind-blowing um, in the response of some of our clients that CBT didn't work for, as just an example. So then we brought in yoga and this is 15 years ago before yoga this is when yoga used to be like, oh yeah, yoga, you know, because it wasn't evidence-based. And now everyone has yoga. And because it's about connecting with your body, it's about mindfulness. It's about regulating your nervous system. 
mm-hmm. so that you don't have to use behaviours because as a way of regulating yourself. So those are just uh, a small sampling, um, and I'm very, very proud to say, if I may, that as a result of what we've then put together at Balance, our therapists who uh, provide this, the cognitive behavioural therapy, the CBT, the DBT, the ACT, it's like alphabet soup, <laughs> so important in a program, but of equal importance is also our licensed art therapists. And we we have um, two or three licensed art therapists on the staff at all time, and they are as they, you know, often what we've heard is the art therapists are often, you know, kind of just, it's just an add-on, but they're central because they'll they'll look at art and they'll interpret what, what themes they're seeing. And, and we've done art shows um, as an example where we've actually put up the artwork with, of course, the client's permission and had a like a celebration of their recovery and invited in their family members. And you can see the progression in the imagery or the sculptures right? from when they first started with us and very closed and frightened and fear and anger. And, and then you see this kind of awakening and opening up and more love and compassion and softness even um, as a way of kind of describing that emotional journey, internal, of course, not expressed through words. So I've got goosebumps actually just describing that to you and how proud those clients have been when we've done those kind of exhibits and their family members come in and it's a real celebration of the journey and it brings the family members in to, to visually see the journey. So, so those are just some examples of what we've done to try to stay cutting edge. And the original question was, how do you stay cutting edge? So reading all those journals, talking to others. I find talking to some of the folks out on the West Coast, we're on the East Coast, as you know, New York, the West Coast tends to be a little bit more creative, if I may. I don't know why. <laughs> But they tend to be more cutting edge, experimental with some things. And um, so kind of tapping into what are you guys doing? You know, we're stuck with this. We're finding clients are really stuck in this area. What do you do to open them up and help and support them? So um, it's, as you can see, it's a, it's a constant evaluation and a constant kind of uh, retraining of staff or being, bringing in specialists and then sitting back and seeing the results and going, wow, I can't believe you know, I, I can't believe this part was missing. And now look at how it's opening people up. Yeah. Constant learning, constant improvement. And I just feel like consistent adding of tools to a tool belt that will help you in your journey to recovery. And I love that balance really focuses on the individual and everyone does have their own healing journey. I personally think that between a mix of therapy and meditations and being in the right relationship um, and moving out of my hometown, but really a mix of things really helped me level up in my life, change the way that I was thinking and get to a point of recovery that I'm at. Now, I honestly think this podcast has just helped me in my recovery maintenance, if I may, because I am learning so much more all of the time. And it feels like balance really does have the most cutting edge information. I've quoted balance articles in the podcast before because they've been so relevant. So I need to check out your blog more often if I'm being <laughs> honest. But for you personally, I'm I'm wondering in your own recovery journey, what did you find that really helped you or what tools do you have in your tool belt that you would want to share? Absolutely. I think the turning point for me was jumping into intuitive eating. Um, and uh, so that's really hard 
really hard to do. It's terrifying, in fact, um, when you're so used to controlling every single piece of food that goes into your mouth and knowing the calories on every single piece of food. And, you know, it's an external uh, measure, right? So, you know, externally, the calories and the number of calories that dictates that's dictating to me how much I should eat as opposed to intuitive eating is about how much does my body need. And, and I don't mean how much I'm telling it it needs. It's telling me how much it needs. So it's a real letting go of control. Oh, dare I say that? A lot of us are over-controlled. And the way I did it actually, and I am grateful for this, uh, talking about relationships, um, I was, uh, when I moved to New York, I was with my fiancé at the time. And I remember I had full, full, not full disclosure, but, you know, I've been open about my, my journey, but I, I was a, a restrictor that went to kind of more overeating and overexercising. So I was doing a lot of running, a lot of running marathons, et cetera. And then I blew my knee out and I literally could not run anymore. And I just had a complete and absolute breakdown about that, as you could imagine, because I lost my tool of you know, keeping that eating disorder active. So when I moved here to New York, I was, um, my knee was, you know, still pretty messed up. And I then just decided, okay, I'm just going to live in my head. I'm going to ignore my body. I wore just my, my fiance's baggy clothes. And I just said, okay, I'm going to immerse myself in my studies at NYU and just forget about this other stuff. Cause this is disgusting. You know how we talk to ourselves. So long story short, so I'm in that very disconnected place. And then one night I'm, you know, I'm, but I'm still counting calories and, you know, trying to figure it out, sometimes allowing myself uh, more food than others. And then I remember watching my fiance eat. And he's a guy who would go to the gym a couple of times a week and he'd lift one, two, oh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking that kind of an exerciser. And, and yet his weight never changed. And so I said to him one night, how do you control your weight without counting counting calories? And can I just this is not a this is not a brag though, Amy. Can I just remind our listeners that and this pertains to probably most people with an eating disorder, as in um sometimes our thinking's pretty screwed up. Mm-hmm. I had an undergraduate degree in biochemistry, right? But here I am saying. Meaning not that I'm so smart, but that most of us are pretty are pretty smart. And here we are asking the most basic questions. How do you not gain weight uh, if you don't count calories, right? That's how distance we are from, from our bodies and the reality. Right. And he looked at me and he said, and he thought about it and he said, well, I eat when I'm hungry and, um, yeah, I just stop when I'm full. It was like... I don't know. It was like, you know, I, I, my mind just blew open. I was like, oh my God, really? So I decided to try it. And, um, and I was very nervous and I decided to try it with real food though, and not just diet food, like steamed chicken and steamed broccoli, which is what I was eating or, you know, that sort of diet food. So I decided to eat what he was eating and he was eating general sales chicken complete with rice and sauce and fried. And so I thought, oh, dear Lord, this is going to be a nightmare, but it can't be worse than it is. So I decided to try it. I did. I ate some. I thought, okay, I'm I'm going to probably end up eating the whole plate and still be hungry again like I usually am. I ate half of it. I like, oh, maybe I'm kind of full. I'll stop there. Expecting to be hungry again 20 minutes later, I wasn't. That was dinner. And so I thought, okay, 
and just kept trying to do that. And over time, uh, I guess about a year, over about a year, I noticed one day that my clothes, my clothes fit again. And my thinking, I didn't think about food. I didn't think about calories. It was really just, am I, you know, oh man, I'm hungry. I've got to find food. Okay, done. Next, you know. So so that was a long uh, explanation of intuitive eating. Um, and so as a result of that, and then the reading I did, I knew that you absolutely have to get to intuitive eating if you want to recover, if you want to fully recover. And I, I don't want to judge that because some people, they get to a certain place and that's good enough and they hang out there. And so if that feels that that's what you, that's as far as you can come, mm -hmm. but to get to the full other side, the intuitive eating piece is, is essential. So we introduced in, intuitive eating and all the evidence that supports it um, very early on before. I think there were only two treatment centers in the country that were introducing intuitive eating 15 years ago. And now everyone almost does. Wow. I had a, a similar experience with allowing myself to eat and not beating myself up about, oh my gosh, I ate, my sandwich was sliced in half and I ate both halves of this sandwich. I was at a point where I was getting recovered and I started tracking my menstrual cycle and that has really helped me out. And that's another thing that I think has been a tool in my tool belt is understanding when I'm in my follicular phase versus my luteal phase. And I know every single month when I'm in my luteal, luteal phase, I'm hungry. I need yes. more food. My That's body right. is telling me I need more food. So let me give my body what she's asking me for. And when I looked at that big sandwich and ate the whole thing afterwards, I felt amazing. I, and I wasn't hungry afterwards. I, I was extremely satisfied and I didn't spiral. I didn't snowball. Like I had so consistently for many years. And yeah, that's just another example that I had. And I'm also thinking because many of our guests who have come on and I hadn't really thought of this before, but you even brought it up today too, is when you have something that fills your cup, you almost don't have room for your eating disorder behaviors. One of my guests brought that up very recently, uh, Cindy Spratt. She's a holistic nutritionist and almost verbatim, I think she said, if, if you have something that just fills you up and if you have something that you're passionate about, you almost naturally ease out of the eating disorder behaviors because you're spending so much time on your passion. And it seems like that's what you really did with balance and, and just working with others who were suffering from eating disorders. It seems like that was really your passion. And I think that's what you put a pin in earlier too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The idea of the, the passion for me was that the intellectual, you know, like actually studying things, uh, studying content that made sense to me and just, you know, I'm, I'm naturally very curious, you know, kind of lifelong learner, learner but about things that spoke to my myself and were directly applicable to how our bodies work, which I just found just so fascinating. And then that strong desire to help others. And that transformed into a strong desire to help people through a journey that I had actually walked through myself and I didn't, but I wouldn't admit to that. And how can I help decrease their pain? And how can I help take what I learned and my pain and help to maybe minimize that or make it less painful in some way or just all the things I wish I had known then, which, you know, you don't know. 
um, to make it easier for the next, for, for, for anyone else is really, is really what is a great passion of mine anyway. It's something that really fills me up. Me too. I, that's why I had a calling to do the podcast. I, I just want to share what I've learned because I don't want anyone to ever go what I went through. And I think equipping others with knowledge about things I truly didn't know at the time is is really going to help. And that's why I love that balance is really, again, with the cutting edge, but really embracing what we're learning on a day-to-day and implementing that with your clients. And another thing that I was reading that balance really embraces aside from intuitive eating is health at every size. And I would love for you to just talk more about that and explain what that is and, and how you implement that at balance. Absolutely. So health at every size is a um, an approach um, that challenges weight stigma and weight discrimination. And what it really is, is that no matter what our weight is no matter our body shape and size we can all be a little bit healthier no matter what our shape and size is so it's it lets go of that idea that if i am in a higher weight body then i'm unhealthy and will be unhealthy until i can get to a smaller weight body but we also know that dieting and losing often large amounts of weight the body then defends itself and people regain weight. So losing weight, 95% of people who lose weight through a diet will regain that weight plus some. So you end up at an even higher weight than where you started. And we actually now know that yo-yo dieting and that that kind of continuum regain plus some, regain plus some, regain plus some, that actually has the most significant uh, medical consequences on your health than just staying at the weight that you are biologically designed to be at. So that then asks the question, well, you know, losing weight is actually not good for your health because ultimately you won't be able to keep it off because the body, as I said, the body works against that. That's physiology. That's not even willpower. And we know that now. We've had that science for about 15 or 20 years. But the diet industry is now, what, $74 billion a year here in the US alone, 120 or $30 billion globally. Uh, and now we've got a Zempic. Oh, boy. But anyway, the point of that was about taking away shame, about empowering people at the weight that they are at now, and uh, embracing that and just saying, you know, if if you're someone who, who doesn't uh, like to move your body at all, what if just setting a goal of walking up the hallway and back again? That's a big a big deal for you, baby steps. And a little bit of context to this is when I started working in eating disorders, I actually was working at a research center. Um, I interned at a research center here in New York, which is one of the reasons I chose New York because I wanted to work there. I wanted to be around the research. And um, just a, a trigger warning for people, it uses the O word. Um, it was the obesity research center and still is there. Um, I don't like that word, and we know a lot more about that word now being stigmatizing. But nonetheless, at that center, um, they were doing studies with clients with binge eating disorder, binge eating disorder. And this is before we got a diagnostic code for binge eating disorder, which we only got in 2013. 
Um, but they were treating clients there with a therapist, with a nutritionist, with a exercise physiologist, with a psychiatrist, a doctor, et cetera. And I was fascinated. So that was actually my area of specialty when I came into eating disorders was working with clients in higher weight bodies. So the health at every size paradigm, how that's all connected is I knew from that research that these clients had lost 100 pounds and gained 120, lost 100 pounds and regained 130. And I had seen that over and over. So I knew that wasn't the answer, but I didn't know what else to do for them. So health at every size gives us a way to help people have a sense of agency and to know that just start where you are and just do a little bit. It could be improving your sleep. It could be as I said, walking up the hallway in your apartment, just one just one lap. Um, it could be taking one flight of stairs. And, you know, just those little baby steps to empower people to do some, some small things that will make a difference. A huge difference. Sleep is so critical. I'm thinking, I'm thinking with the new year coming so quickly, we have what, six weeks before 2024, which is crazy. But of course, we know that time of year, people are setting new goals. People are talking about going to the gym more, losing weight. And I fear for some people who are struggling with eating disorders that it just might be really triggering for them. It might trigger even a relapse. And I love that Balance offers so many different programs, especially around this time of year. I think right now you're offering or it will be coming out soon, a 12-day treatment program, maybe for those who don't have a full month to dedicate to recovery. Can you talk to me about that? You hit it on the head, Amy. Not everyone who does has a whole month to dedicate to recovery or even longer. Ideally, yes, because it does take a long time. But what we realized is that if we offer a 12-day program, people are more uh, willing and able to join us for those 12 days and then they kind of they don't they don't just scratch the surface but they start to get a sense of okay all right i see this and i see that i need to do this and etc and then they can take what they learn back into their day to day and then at another juncture when they have vacation or whatnot they can then come back and do a little more and so it's more of a chipping away approach rather than doing the whole um, the whole bulk of the recovery all at one time. And I think in our very, very busy schedules and when people are afraid to take medical leave, which I totally get, it's a way of still um, still doing something towards recovery that isn't about just completely having to upend your life. Right. And it makes me think if if people can focus on doing that and commit to you know a 12-day program rather than just thinking, forward thinking in the future, we're going to start a diet this year. I know all too well the yo-yo diet. I can just see how beneficial even 12 days could be in, again, giving you tools in your tool belt and getting you thinking differently. And I, I love a good January reset in one way or another. I like doing dry January, all of that, but I just know how dangerous of a territory that can be. And that makes me think I have a few rapid fire questions for you. With the holidays approaching, what would you say to someone who just feels stuck in their eating disorder? I My previous episode was about combating binge eating during the holidays and giving my own personal tips and tricks for what has helped me. But what about someone who just feels stuck or maybe just isn't leaning and doesn't feel sick enough and just is kind of letting their eating disorder be holidays are so tricky with the food what would you say 
Oh, so tricky because it's all about the food, isn't it? Um, I would say, first and foremost, I would say give yourself a break as in lean into compassion. You're doing the best you can do and it's normal to feel stuck. And what I would say, even though it's so hard to do when you feel stuck, taking any action when you're stuck is so hard. But if you can, find a community, find a Facebook group, uh, Facebook group, you know, or find some kind of place where even just you can chat with others who might be struggling. I found uh, with our clients, the solitude and the isolation and the shame can make people feel even more that they kind of go in into themselves and that then makes you vulnerable to using food to also mitigate those feelings so you know being connected to others who are going through something similar can help reduce shame which is so important increase self-compassion and in doing so can help to kind of make you feel um, more connected which can help to get you a little less stuck I love that. It makes me think of a support group that I've gone to here in Denver. Luckily, I have one two miles away from me, so it's very easy for me to access. But the first time I went, I was mind blown at how much I was able to connect with others that were going through something similar. You relate to these people in such a different way. So I definitely think finding some type of community. I actually interviewed um, some directors at my support group and asked them what their advice would be for maybe people who don't have support groups near them. And there are so many available online that you can just search. I would really suggest doing that. So I love that piece of advice. Um, And also in my last episode, I talked about another tool in my tool belt, and that is my tried and true, my sacred morning routine. I have something that I do every single day, and it's huge for me to maintain recovery. It makes me feel so happy. It's the favorite part of my day. Do you have a morning routine? I do. I do. I love that you asked that. I'm a very much a morning person as well. So I just love the early morning time of the day. My morning routine is I get up, I I make my coffee. That's absolutely sacred. And I have created a, a, a kind of a really lovely, tranquil little, little space in my apartment here where I look out the windows and I I'm very fortunate to be looking at the Empire State Building and the cityscape. Um, and I've set up all my lovely plants around that little area. And so I sit there with my coffee and I have my green plants and I look out and I like to see the sun rise. Well, the sun doesn't rise, but I can see the reflection of the pinks and the yellows on the buildings, on the cityscape. And and the, the word that comes to mind, Amy, when, when I see that every single morning is I I practice a gratitude, a gratitude practice. So it's just, I'm so grateful to be here in a city that I love to have be doing what I love with my life and just be breathing another day, you know, and just watching this gorgeous um, free moment of the sun coming up. So gratitude I find is such an important tool in my toolbox that I remind myself to do. So that that's one of them. You know, there's some journaling, there's some, you know, other things that I do, but that's the one consistently every single morning I absolutely do. I love that. I also live in a city, Denver, Colorado is my view, and I don't see the sunrise anymore, but I do get to see the beautiful uh, colors of the sunrise that are bouncing off the building. So we have a similar view. And then I'll peek out on my balcony and be able to, if it's usually it's not cloudy, be able to see the front range of the Rocky Mountains. And it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, it, it 
I think anyone, I, every place that I've lived, I mean, I am a morning person. I wake up with energy, but every place that I've lived, I just love to wake up kind of with the sun and yeah. really embrace that. So I, I too really, it's not as conscious because my morning routine really does consist of like the journaling and meditating, but gratitude is such a critical part of my recovery too. So thank you for reminding me of that. And I love that you mentioned that you love what you do. My last question for this segment is, if you had to pick, what do you love the most about what you do? I love it the most when we have a client who comes in and starts treatment with us and they're afraid and they're scared and angry and, you know, all of that. And then they're with us for X amount of time. And then they turn around and say, my God, you guys saved my life this place is so different to anywhere else I've been. Thank you so much for, for saving my life. And I, I'm almost in tears. Um, We don't always have clients who say that to us, but we do, you know, on occasion and it makes it all worthwhile. It makes it all worthwhile, you know, and that's when I'm thinking, that's when it really hits home that we've created something very special. I hope we have. And the evidence is in the clients telling us that, yes, this, 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 approach that you have here at Balance really resonated for me. So that's just, it's just a gift. I mean, who gets to hear that, Amy, in our regular, in our regular jobs, you know, like pre, pre this career, I had another career and no one ever said that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And how rewarding for you. Thank you so much for that answer, Balance, just, and you both seem so incredible and I can't wait for the listeners to hear this and learn more about it. We're going to get into the next segment now. the second segment i have two questions that i wrap up with every single episode if it's just a solo episode i will answer them um and the first question is about recommendations and last episode was a solo episode for me and i hadn't had a solo episode in so long so i was telling everyone all the random recommendations that i have but i love to hear what the guests are loving so what type of recommendations do you have for the listeners Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm loving, I'm loving um, actually this, and I wanted to recommend it. Um, I'm sure you know the Vietnamese Buddhist monk uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, and uh, he's written a lot of books, but Peace of Mind, it's Peace of Mind, Becoming Fully Present. It's about, honestly, it's a, a lot of it's about breath work. And the easiest thing that when I'm feeling really stressed, Amy, I just remember he, he teaches, you know, breathe in joy. Breathe out joy. Breathe in joy. Breathe out joy. How simple is that? And we know that that changes from our brain to our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the relaxation response. And just like that, you can go from being stressed out and dysregulated to be reminding yourself, okay, let's just connect. It's going to be okay. Um, so I wanted to share that because I just uh, I've used a lot of that this year <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get through to get through some tough times. Yeah. Okay, I love that recommendation. I will link that in the show notes. I usually link the recommendations. So thank you for that. My final question is: 
I love to hear something that the listeners love about themselves or that a positive self-affirmation that you have, because I find that you mentioned having compassion for yourself is so important. And I think the more we remind ourselves of that, the better. So I think it's my favorite question to wrap up with. Yeah. What I love about myself is I'm really persistent. I'm really persistent. Uh, it's a little bit of a, uh, it's two sides of the same coin, sometimes a little too much. What persistence led me to be able to come to New York, persistence led me through my academics to get where I needed to go. Persistence led me to leave Australia and move here. Persistence has also helped me to keep balance going. What I mean by that is for any of us, right, the journey is never a smooth path. There's always going to be challenges and some of those challenges will bring you to your knees. I mean, at least I know my journey has on multiple occasions. COVID, you know, being a business owner and going through COVID and thinking you, I was going to lose my business and what about the clients? What about my staff? I'm a mum. Being a mother can bring you to your knees. Oh, yeah. um, and so when I've fallen and stumbled, which we all do, and I've done a lot of it, is getting up, brushing yourself off and leaning into it, learning what you can, making some changes, and then keep going and then keep going and then keep going. And I know that I have, um, it's been pointed out to me that I have an abnormal amount of persistence <laughs> So I'm embracing that. I used to be embarrassed about that. I now <laughs> embrace it, you know. As you should. I love it. Where can everyone find Balance online? Can they find you on social media? Absolutely. So Balance, uh, our website is balancedtx.com. That's balance with a D, tx.com. We're on Insta, uh, Balance uh, EDTX. And you'll find us also on, you know, LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, we're on all the, and Facebook. Perfect. Okay. I will link everything in the show notes. And I just wanted to say, I wrapped up my last episode with a sneak peek into this. I didn't say exactly who the guest was, but I did say she was a badass CEO in the global eating disorder community. And I think <laughs> you exceeded expectations. You are absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for coming on. What a pleasure, Amy. Thank you so much. And thank you to your listeners for, for, you know, listening today. And it's just an absolute pleasure. Melanie is such a breath of fresh air. It's been so exciting for me to be able to connect with others who have made such an impact in the eating disorder recovery community. Guys, this is actually the last interview of the season, and I was honored to have her wrap up the season one interviews on such a positive note. I will be back for the season finale. Can't believe I'm even saying that in two weeks. And then the year is coming to a close, so stay tuned and I will talk to you all then. This podcast was written and produced by me, Amy Geckel, with music from Coma Media. If you want someone to talk to, DM me on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Diaries or email me. My email is linked in the show notes along with all of the other links we talked about in today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll talk to you in two weeks.